Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Our listener support campaign continues. You can become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month by just going to patreon.greatdetectives.net. In addition, if you have a small business that you would like to advertise to our listeners, during our listener support campaign, if you order directly, you'll receive 25% extra downloads, full details on uh, advertising with us at advertise.greatdetectives.net. Now, let's get into this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Serial. We'll be playing episodes 1 and 2 today, and episodes 3 through 5 on Friday. Now, from April 16th and 17th of 1956, here's the Shepherd Matter. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Providence, Rhode Island calling. Mr. Dollar? Yes. One moment, please. Go ahead. Hello? Hello, Mr. Dollar? Yes? This is Dick Porter. I'd like to hire you. Porter? Uh, Dick Porter. I'm an insurance broker here. Bert Masterson at United Adjustment Bureau suggested I contact you. Oh, what's the trouble, Mr. Porter? <laughs> uh, darned if I know exactly. I just have a client who's taking out all the insurance he can get. I may be wrong, but it looks to me like he's getting ready to die. Oh. Can you help me out? I can try, Mr. Porter. <laughs> Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To Richard Porter, 480 Webster Boulevard, Providence, Rhode Island. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Shepherd matter. Expense account item one, $15. Airfare and incidentals, Hartford to Providence. I arrived at 2.30 in the afternoon and was in my hotel room by 3.15. At 5 o'clock, I was having a quiet drink with Porter, who turned out to be a 24-year man in the insurance brokerage business and seemed to know what he was about. I've never had anything like this happen to me, and I didn't quite know what to do about it. I'm glad I can get some expert advice from you. Well, I don't know how expert the advice will be, but I'll do what I can for you, Mr. Porter. Uh, Want another one of these? No, I'm fine for now, thank you. I'll try to explain this matter as far as I know. Two days ago, Dr. Shepard called me up and inquired about rates on straight life insurance. Mm -hmm. He's carried about $20,000 worth of policies, so 10 years or better. Um, I have the figures in my office. Mm Mm-hmm. I gave him the prices for coverage, and he said he'd take $80,000, which would bring him up to an even 100000 Now, Shepard's a single man. The beneficiary on his other policies is his mother, Claire Shepard. She lives over in Pawtucket. He's only dependent. He wants to name her beneficiary again. I see. Now, where do matters stand with Dr. Shepard right now? I told him it'd take a few days to draw the policies up. 
He sent me a check for the first payment and told me to do what had to be done. I don't want to act on his application until I know it's okay. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, what can you tell me about Dr. Shepard? Very little. He seems to have a good practice here in town and does his share of charity work and so on. As far as I know, he's above question. Would have to be, of course, to practice medicine here. He has an apartment above his offices, owns the building, all of his equipment. You know anything about his friends? No. Now, let me understand this about Dr. Shepard. He called you. You didn't call him. He wanted to buy the insurance. Uh, you didn't try to sell it. That's about it, yes. And that's why I'm worried. Give me a hundred people and I'll show you 99 out of that hundred who will never, never call up an insurance broker and say, I want to buy some life insurance. Yeah. People have to be sold life insurance. They'll go out and shop around for fire, theft coverage, automobile insurance, health, almost any kind. But straight life insurance, that has to be sold. On the other hand, suppose Shepard is that one in a hundred. Yeah, yeah, it may be a perfectly legitimate situation. Yeah, Shepard may have looked into his mirror one night and said to himself, I gotta have $100,000 worth of insurance or I won't sleep a wink. Oh, yeah, it could have happened that way, Mr. Porter. But uh, I have to think of those 99 people in that hundred. Sure. Sure, so do I. Well, here's to caution. Cheers. Expense account item two, $25. Deposit on a rented car, which I use the following day, driving from place to place, collecting data on Dr. Charles Shepard, M.D. At his bank, I was able to learn that he enjoyed what might be called a lucrative practice, and that, like most people, he spent slightly more than he made. He belonged to a golf club where he was seldom seen. He belonged to a tennis club, which he managed to make three or four times a week. Questioning the pharmacist who had the prescription counter a half block from Dr. Shepard's building and the manager of a cafeteria across the street from same, I was unable to learn who Dr. Shepard's steady companions were or gain any information that would justify his puzzling application for life insurance. Hello? Good morning. Oh, good morning. I'd like to see Dr. Shepard, please. Do you have an appointment? No, I don't. Well, may I have your name, please? Johnny Dollar. 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 Are you a regular patient of Dr. Shepard's, Mr. Dollar? No, no, I'm not. I didn't think I recalled your name. I've been with Dr. Shepard almost five years. Uh, who recommended Dr. Shepard? No one. Well, Mr. Dollar, I'm afraid doctor's out now and won't be back until... Late this afternoon. Well, now, that's funny. I was standing out in front of here three minutes ago, and I thought I saw Dr. Shepard walk in. Please, Mr. Dollar, he is not in to anyone. What's your name? Why, I'm Miss Streeter. Miss Streeter. Well, yes, but I'd I... I'd like see... to see Dr. Shepard, Miss Streeter. Here. Oh. Insurance investigator? Yes. Will you tell the doctor that? Please? Why, yes, I... I'm sorry, I had to tell your doctor was out. He asked me to say that to everyone who came in. I'm afraid the doctor's been acting strangely all day. I'm very much concerned over him. I excuse me. The tall, pale, brunette girl in the crisply starched uniform was certainly concerned about something. She bit her lip, forced on a wan, unprofessional smile, and looked like she wanted to cry just before she disappeared beyond the reception room to seek out Dr. Shepard. I pretended not to notice that part. One minute passed, two minutes, three minutes. No one reappeared. So I pushed the door open and I looked down the corridor leading to the examination rooms and laboratory. I had to notice Dr. Charles Shepard standing at the end of the corridor. 
Most of his costume was medically correct. White coat, stethoscope in one hand. But in the other hand, he brandished a 32 automatic. And the safety was off. Stay where you are, mister, and get your hands up. What pocket do you keep your credentials in? Left inside. I'll get them. Insurance investigator. For whom? At the moment, for Mr. Porter. Dick? Yeah. Well, here, I... I'm sorry, Mr. Dollar. I... I guess I'm very nervous these days. Oh, uh, well... Mr. Dollar, I'd like to get your address and phone number before uh, you... That's all right, Corinne. Uh, don't you think this might be a good time to go out and get a bite? Well, it's a little early, Doctor. I have some lab tests. Go ahead, Corinne, like a good girl, and uh, lock up, huh? Yes. Goodbye, Mr. Dollar. Uh, yeah, goodbye. Very fine girl, Corinne. She's been with me... Five so years, she told me. Oh. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to explain meeting you in the hallway with this in my hand. Uh, yes. Well, uh, before you try, suppose you snap the safety on. Oh, yes. I, I look somewhat foolish, I guess. You want to come in my office? Sure. You say Mr... Porter sent Mr. You. Porter told me you made an application for $80,000 worth of life insurance. We, uh, we look into things like that, Doctor. Investigate me because I want to buy life insurance? Yeah, yeah. You're a single man with few responsibilities? Well, I don't know whether to be irritated or not. Am I, am I going to get my insurance? I wouldn't be irritated, Doctor. Put yourself in the insurance company's position. They're just not used to this kind of application. Oh, you, you may get it, I don't know. But obviously you're in some kind of trouble, gun and all. Well, I... You know, the whole thing is a ridiculous mess. Mr. Dollar, my life has been threatened by a man who has definite homicidal tendencies. I suppose I've been acting very strangely lately. I, I don't know whether to leave town or give up my practice. All you have to do is pick up that telephone and call the police and tell them about it. A threat in your life comes under police business, Doctor. I know that, and I would go to the police, only... Well, it's a very delicate matter. I have a patient's welfare to think of. You can't very well treat any patient if you're dead. I suppose you sit down and tell me all about it. All right. Several months ago, I treated a woman named Forbes. A thorough examination and consultation disclosed that her poor physical condition was not based on any organic disorder, but rather upon her own emotional instability. Not an uncommon diagnosis this hectic day and age... You've heard of things like this, Mr. Dollar? Oh, I've heard of semantics and neurotics and psychotics, but I'm not a doctor. Well, let me tell you the psychotherapeutic side of medicine is by far the most challenging and one in which I've had considerable experience. Consequently, I undertook to treat Mrs. Forbes, hoping to effect a cure. Are you a psychiatrist, doctor? No, I am not. Don't misunderstand me, Mr. Dollar. In the process of treating Mrs. Forbes' physical ailments, I urged her to recount a variety of experiences... Talk to her from day to day, probing all the while for the source of her trouble. It has been my intention from the first to place her in the hands of a competent neurologist. I suspected her trouble early in the treatment. She's married to an erratic, ruthless, ill-tempered man, Paul Forbes. Oh. I made a grave error when Mrs. Forbes pressed me last week to... Well, I could only tell her to move out and divorce him immediately. That's pretty extreme advice, Doctor. I know, but I also know the advice was right. Oh, you aren't in sympathy with me, I can see, but let me tell you that any competent psychiatrist would have advised you the same. I approached her husband on the matter a few days ago. 
What? I explained to him that Mrs. Forbes' health, her very life, is in jeopardy, that more is involved here than just keeping intact a union which has nothing but legality as a binding force. And Mr. Forbes doesn't care for semantics. He doesn't care for Mrs. Forbes, Mr. Dollar. He ranted and raved and accused me of trying to break up his home, and finally he attacked me. I managed to get away. Did he threaten you then? Yes, he said he'd kill me. Who else was there? What do you mean? Who heard him say these things? Why... Mrs. Forbes was there and a servant in their home. Yes, a servant. Upton's his name, I believe. You should have called the police. I should have done a lot of things differently in my lifetime, but I didn't call the police. My primary concern is for Mrs. Forbes. Further shock and guilt complex could be totally disastrous to her. So are you going to creep around here with a gun in your hand? I don't know whether I'd even know how to use it. I... I... Now, why the application for all the insurance? I I wondered if Forbes might get me. I wanted to be sure my mother was taken care of. I I don't know whether anyone's ever threatened your life, and you knew for certain he'd try to carry out the threat, but that is the position I am in. What are you going to do? I don't know. I'll think of something, but what about my insurance? That's up to Mr. Porter. If what you say is true, I wouldn't insure you. What do you mean, if it's true? Of course it's true. Doctor, I don't believe it. I left him standing there in the corridor, staring after me. A lonely man. Somehow not as frightened a man as he tried to let me believe. I wondered about that. I was still wondering about it when I went to sleep that night. Johnny Dollar. Big Porter, Mr. Dollar. Hi. Did you check on Dr. Shepard? Yeah. Uh, do I write up his policies? Well, that's up to you, Mr. Porter. Dr. Shepard's life has been threatened. What? That's according to him. And the man who threatened his life has definite homicidal tendencies, also according to Dr. Shepard. Well, I... I... Well, what do you think? Porter, I think Dr. Shepard's a liar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Richard Porter, 480 Webster Boulevard, Providence, Rhode Island. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Shepard matter. More expenses, item three, 26 cents, one bottle of aspirin for Mr. Porter. I felt he was going to need it. I hope you aren't trying to be funny, Mr. Dollar. I'm not, Mr. Porter. I think you've got a tough decision to make. I, uh, I know that the commission on $80,000 worth of insurance would be high. Uh, uh, sit down. Oh, thanks. Uh, Mr. Porter, Dr. Shepard told me he bought or tried to buy all that insurance because he thought a man named Forbes was going to kill him. He bought it, he said, to make certain his mother is well provided for. He was carrying a thirty-two Colt. Mm. Now, he spoke of treating Forbes' wife and of advising her that divorce would settle her health problem. Mr. Forbes didn't like that and accused Shepard of trying to wreck his home, and, well, that's about it. Now, what have we got? <laughs> Well, your Dr. Shepard is either nuts or an idiot or the cleverest man alive. I don't know. I do know I believed about one half of what he told me. Maybe less. What reason would he have to lie? Beats me. If someone threatened your life or mine, we'd turn to the police for help. Now, Shepard won't do that. Insists that it would probably be hazardous in the case of his patient, Mrs. Forbes. I don't want to write up this policy if what he says is true. But I, I don't want to pass up the commission if it isn't true. 
Can you stick around town for another day or two and find out about it? I'll do what I can, Mr. Porter. Go ahead. Have an aspirin. He had an aspirin and I had a car ride. Once again, out to the offices of Dr. Shepard. The same things were more or less going on in the same way. His nurse, Miss Streeter, appeared as distraught as ever when she recognized me. There was a quick dabbing at the eyes, a straightening of the hair before she spoke. I'm... Good morning, Mr. Dollar. Hello. I'd like to see the doctor again. He was calling Mr. Porter's office trying to locate you. I'll buzz him. Mr. Dollar, do you have anything to do with why doctor's been carrying a gun? No. That's his business. In other words, I should mind my business. Well, I'm being honest. I've advised him what to do on the matter. What matter? He'll have to explain that to you, Miss Streeter. It doesn't make much sense to me. You can go back now. Okay, thanks. Hello, Mr. Dollar. Hello, Doctor. You were pretty insulting yesterday. I'm sorry about that, but we both have a problem to solve. And I get paid sometimes for deliberately insulting people. <laughs> You're a stranger. You want to change your story about all this? I wish I could change it. It's still a mess, a bad mess. I thought it all out last night, and I still must hold to my original thinking. I have to place my concern for my patient, Mrs. Forbes, before anything else. In other words, you won't call the police and tell them your life's been threatened. No, and you're very stubborn about that part. I don't think you comprehend the situation at all. Look, wait a minute. Let's understand each other, Doctor. If this man Forbes is all you say he is, and you say you're the expert on homicidal tendencies, then the best thing for you to do is to prefer charges against him for threatening your life and have him locked up. Now, you could do that. According to what you've told me about Mrs. Forbes and a servant in their home witnessing his threats... I will try to explain again. I can't do that for Mrs. Forbes' sake. I just can't. She's been through a shattering ordeal. I must attempt to resolve this quietly. Now, true, I can generally anticipate a man's actions inside my office under clinical conditions, but I... Well, Forbes is different. That's why I tried to contact you today. Someone like you could approach Forbes and possibly persuade him to discard his ideas of violence. Probably do it in a quiet way, too. What does Mr. Porter pay you? Well, what's that got to do with it? I'm willing to pay you. I mean, you and I don't seem to get along very well, but I phone Porter and he tells me you're one of the best men in your line of business. I'll pay you to go to Paul Forbes and talk to him as I've described. <laughs> I can't figure you, Doctor. Now, let you and I not get into any personality arguments. Will you do this for me for your regular fee? I was going to do it anyhow. For Mr. Porter and the fee, he pays me. I just wanted to check you first. I'll do it. But I still think it's a matter for the police. All right, let's leave it this way. You go talk to Forbes. If you think he means to kill me, then I'll call the police and prefer charges against him. Patient or no patient. How's that? That sounds a little more sensible, Doctor. I took down the home address of Paul Forbes and climbed to my rented car and drove over to his home in the gilded edge of the city. A story and a half colonial with all the trimmings. Lawns, trees, Plymouth convertible, a push-button station wagon in the garage. It was a nice warm spring day and some flowers were blooming and smelling up the area in a very nice way. Flies buzzed, bees droned, birds sang. And I went up and pressed the doorbell. I should have gone butterfly catching or taken a plane to Spokane. Yeah? I'm looking for Paul Forbes. Does he live here? Yeah, he sure does. I'm Forbes. Mr. Forbes, my name is Johnny Dollar. Dollar? Yeah, and I came over to talk to you... You get out of my way! The front of his gun slapped against the side of my head and I went down to my knees. A door slammed somewhere and someone ran away. I twisted around trying to see what it was all about. 
And then I managed to get to my feet in time to see Paul Forbes plunging the Plymouth out the driveway and heading I don't know where. Oh, oh. my goodness, my goodness. What happened here? Uh, Where's Mr. Forbes? You hurt? Yeah, I'll be... Oh, Miss Forbes, Miss Forbes. Oh, let me help you, sir. Yeah, give me your arm. Yeah. We'd better sit you down over here. Okay, thanks. Oh, thanks. my goodness, my goodness gracious, sir. How did this happen? Mr. Forbes swung a gun at me. Oh, no, sir, no, sir. Oh, no, sir. No, easy, sir. Easy, easy. Nice, yeah, nice. Now, let's sit down here. Oh. What happened here? I'm afraid Mr. Forbes attacked this gentleman, Miss Forbes. Call the doctor up and... Then go to my medicine chest and get some swabs and a pan of cold oh, water. Right away, man. Wait, uh, the doctor isn't necessary. It just made me dizzy. You're so. cut. It might be deep. Well, get the first aid things and some brandy, Upton. Right away, man. This is unforgivable, just unforgivable conduct. Please, I don't know who you are. Are you a friend of Paul's? No, I'm Johnny Dollar. I, I wanted to discuss with your husband something. I, I take it you're Mrs. Forbes. Yes. Oh, Upton, uh, set them right here. Yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. You feeling a little better, sir? I, I don't know yet. Hey, let me try some of that. Yeah, certainly, sir, certainly. Here we go, sir. Easy now. Easy. <laughs> Thanks. How does it look to you, Upton? Well, I believe it's not too deep, Mrs. Forbes. How's it feel, Mr. Dollar? No, I, I don't think it's very deep. I'll be all right in a minute. Upton, go telephone Dr. Shepard and tell him to come over here immediately. Yes, ma'am. Mr. Dollar, I can't tell you how sorry I am for this. You, you can bring suit against us. You can do anything you want to, Mr. Dollar. Paul's temper is just ungovernable these days. He could have killed you. He took the car and ran. Yeah. I don't know what's gotten into him. Two nights ago, he attacked my personal physician, threatened to kill him. And now he's attacked you for no reason at all. Any idea where he might have gone? Heaven only knows. Mad. That's what he is, Mr. Dollar. He's mad. Pauline Forbes had a right to be scared from what I'd seen of her and from what I'd seen of her husband. He was an angry man with a gun in his hand, slugging at anyone in sight. She was a distraught woman with a darkening spot underneath her right eye, and it wasn't mascara. I began to wonder who needed more looking after, Dr. Shepard, Mrs. Forbes, or Johnny Dollar. Just lie still now, sir. Uh, well, I guess you kind of fainted a little bit. Is there anything I can get you, sir? No. No, uh, just tell me about Mr. Forbes. I beg your pardon, sir? Look, I'm an insurance investigator. I came here today to talk to Mr. Forbes about threatening Dr. Shepard's life. Oh, uh, well, I, I wouldn't want to talk out of turn, sir. You, you better discuss that with Mrs. Forbes. Now, just one question. Did Mr. Forbes threaten Dr. Shepard's life? Yes, sir. You heard him? I did, sir. He attacked Dr. Shepard here two nights ago. Did he also attack Mrs. Forbes? Mr. Dollar, this is an unhappy house. Things have gone all wrong here these last few months. Mr. Forbes changed. Mrs. Forbes, uh, well, I don't know. I, but please don't ask me to speak up against anyone. I'm just trying to find out the best thing to do for everybody concerned. What can you do, sir? Well, I didn't think anything like this would happen. It's terrible, Doctor. Terrible. This about settles it. Now, I want you to go up to your room and lie down. There's no sense in your getting any more excited. I want to see about Mr. Dollar first. Oh, good morning, Doctor. Hello, Upton. Uh, let's have a look at this, Dollar. Uh, get that light. Yes, sir. Hmm. How is it? Well, I don't think it's anything worse than a cut. How do you feel, Dollar? 
Oh, an aspirin might straighten me out. I hope so. After, uh, yes, I'll get some soon. <laughs> Dollar, I should have taken your advice yesterday. I'm going to take it now. I'm going to call the police and have this man arrested. He might kill somebody next time. Yeah, am I all right? Sit up. Dizzy? Yeah, a little. That'll wear off. What will they do to Paul? Well, they'll take him into custody and probably talk some sense to him. Oh, this, this is awful. You go up to your room now, Mrs. Forbes. We'll handle this. Oh, Upton, take Mrs. Forbes upstairs. Yes, sir. You just come along, Miss Forbes. Thank you. She is not a well woman. She looks all right to me. I wish she were. Uh, I want to get an x-ray on that head. Can you come by the office this afternoon? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Give me the police. I doubt if it's concussion or anything like that, but it's best to play safe. You're a safe player all the time, aren't you, Doctor? What does that mean? I don't know. Now, look here. I'm not... Hello? Uh, Yes. I want to talk to somebody about a threat on my life. I... My name is Shepard. Dr. Charles Shepard. When I left him, he was reporting Paul Forbes to the police. He gave them Forbes' description and the license number of the Plymouth Forbes was driving. I didn't stay beyond that. Maybe I should have. Maybe I should never have left that house. I'm not sure, but if I hadn't left, I might have saved a life. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow... Well, the big lie is as true as little green apples. Join us, won't you, when I bite into one and spit out a bullet. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. Ha <laughs> ha
Welcome back. Well, we definitely have a mystery going on here, and I think that there's a lot of atmosphere, and there's a lot of questions that you want answered. I'm just not sure that there's really a good insurance-related reason to continue this investigation. We have two options here. Either Dr. Shepard is telling the truth and Mr. Forbes has made a credible threat on his life. In that case, insuring him would be silly. If he is lying, then he is likely engaged in something illegal. And if he's lying to the insurance company about the reason why he wants to quintuple his coverage, then that really should be enough reason to decline the increase. I mean, plus, Johnny has his expense account, he charges a fee, and when you add that all up, even if you could find some justification for insuring Shepard, it's probably going to take a year or two uh, worth of premium until you've just paid off Johnny's investigation. But we're going on, whether it makes any sense or not. And it would be disappointing if they decided just to be realistic. I can't complain too much. And I, I think other than the, what are we even doing here, this is a solid mystery. And I want to find out. So I'm glad Johnny's not going uh, back to Hartford to sort his sock drawer. Well, now it's time to talk about our plans for Tuesday. The Johnny Dollar serials will continue until uh, the end of March. At that point, we are going to have some episodes from previously completed series. Now, some of these we might actually have played this season ahead of Mr. Chameleon if we hadn't gotten so far down the line in planning for Mr. Chameleon. We got some stuff very last minute. We're going to have a few weeks of that, and then after that, we'll be playing Bulldog Drummond. And that should take us all the way through the rest of Season 15 into Season 16. And I should note that Bulldog Drummond is probably the last series that we'll play on Tuesday that has even a dozen episodes out there. There's about two dozen episodes of Bulldog Drummond, and then after that, uh, the few series that remain will be much shorter. Listener comments and feedback now. And I want to acknowledge, said the Salt City Matter was a good episode, and Barbara on YouTube enjoyed the Jolly Rogers Fraud Matter. Then we got a comment on indictment from David. David writes, I'd actually forgotten about this series, Indictment, but these past two revisited episodes have been excellent. Hope more show up. It gets bonus points for the use of a piece of music I absolutely love, Alec Wilder's Her Old Man Was Suspicious, as an outro piece. Uh, well, thanks so much, David. Of course, credit for the outro music goes to the Armed Forces Radio Service, who generally add really classy music to any program that they played. I have heard uh, rumors that there may be more episodes of Indictment, but none emerge from that other source as of yet. But I will keep my eye out, and if I do get programs 
from this other source, I want, want to be sure I'll have all the episodes because I don't want to Mr. Chameleon everything and be coming back to a series multiple times. And that may have hurt indictment being as memorable in that its episodes have been so broke up. But we played uh, Under Arrest for nine consecutive weeks, and that series, I don't think, gets a lot of love or remembrance, even though I thought it was pretty good. Comments were not quite so positive on the last episode of Philo Vance. Greg writes, uh, regarding the Muddy Murder case, this was a real stretch of my imagination to get the solution. Very unconvincing. And uh, Tim uh, posted a comment uh, elaborating on this. Uh, he writes, As is my habit, I listen to the great detectives at bedtime to help me fall asleep. Generally, I catch up in the morning to find out who the culprit was if I doze off. Right after Vance and Markham hammered home the point, uh, 30 feet of mud and no footprints, four or five times I was right out. Fast forward your intro and the listen material into the mystery and it put me to sleep again at 6 a.m. And some guff about State College. Try again after coffee and I fast forwarded too far into your summary. Push the button to rewind and I accidentally reboot the player. Finally get it to the right location and what do I hear? A pole vaulter? He can start on dry land, make his run, stick his hole in the mud, and leap over the quagmire. Some problems and plot holes come immediately to mind. The housekeeper uh, looked out the window after the gunshot. Didn't she see a 16-foot pole leaning against the house? Didn't she hear a 40-year-old man crashing into the porch? And most importantly, how did he get back? He left no footprints coming or going. It must have been a long wraparound porch to give him room to come to speed and uh, launch for the first flight. I won't even go into him appearing on the porch again to shoot at Vance and the housekeeper. Must have dozed off again. Did he vault over the mud again or just walk to the porch over dried ground? Anyway, fare thee well. Follow Vance, as the poet Ogden Nash said, Follow Vance needs a kick in the punts. And then uh, there's a comment from Nicholas. Uh, this comes uh, via email, and he writes, Hi, Adam. I can't say I'm sorry to see the end of Philo Vance. Well, maybe I'll miss laughing at the ridiculous plots, cheesy dialogue, one-dimensional stock characters, and total lack of self-awareness. That and the exceedingly labored ways they'd find to tell us that that was the end of the such-and-such -such murder case. And he covers um, a lot of the same ground that Tim did. And uh, he says, uh, because when you're pole vaulting, I'm pretty sure at some point you, uh, you have to let go of the pole. So did he have another pole waiting for him at the victim's house or that he used for the return trip? Even if he did, it's not like he could take the second pole with him. It'd just be there, lying in the mud by the victim's porch, waiting for Philo Vance and the police to find it. Words fail me. Uh, keep up the great work. Well, thank you so much, uh, Nick. I appreciate your comments. And as I've said before, I think that from my perspective, I think we got some 
really good performances, and there were also a few episodes that featured some performers that I'm almost certain had much more prominent places on Broadway, and there were Easter eggs in that regards. But not everyone is as positive about Philo Vance as I am, which is an odd thing to say. Then we have a comment on the prize ring murder case. Uh, this one from uh, Dr. Frankenstein's Creation, uh, who writes, Did I actually just hear Vance admit to framing Phil Terrace because he belongs behind bars? Uh, no, actually, I don't think that's what happened in that episode. I think framing Terrence would imply accusing him or planning evidence of a crime he didn't commit. In this case, Vance used the murderers in a sting operation in the same way that the police might catch a drug dealer. A drug dealer who sells to a cop is not being framed. Now, of course, you've got to follow some rules to make sure that you're not violating procedures and committing entrapment or doing it in a way that will make the evidence inadmissible. But that's that's not in and of itself considered to be framing someone for a crime. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Mike. Mike has been one of our Patreon supporters since July of 2015, currently supporting the program at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Mike. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please be sure and rate it using your favorite podcast software. Be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. We'll be back on Friday with the conclusion of this week's serial. But join us back here tomorrow for Dangerous Assignment, where... Uh, good evening, signore. Good evening. Hi. You run this carousel? Yes, uh, signore. You're a tourist, no? Yeah, matter of fact, I just arrived from the United States. Oh, I see. Uh, I've always wanted to ride on a carousel. What's that? I said, I've always wanted to ride on a carousel. Well, you've done the best, Monsignor. Step right up. It's high time you did. What? I look to have you as a customer, Signor. Oh, fine. Look, I didn't oh, really Senor, want... please, now, don't be embarrassed. I have many grown men ride my carousel. Here, I help you. Which animal you like? Now, wait a minute. Senor, you have always wanted to ride a carousel. You shall ride a carousel. I... I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash greatdetectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.